Hello, happy Wednesday. Welcome to another episode of Tea and Tropes. Um, this week we are covering chapters 10 through 18 of Daughter of Red Winter by Ed McDonald. I hope everyone had so much fun at the Iron Flame Midnight Release parties the other day. I hope you guys are loving the book so far. I definitely am. Um, I am not very far. I just kind of started it yesterday. But that's because I really wanted to read the extra Zayden POV chapters from the special edition of Iron Fl of not Iron Flame, sorry, the special edition of Fourth Wing before I read Iron Flame, just in case there was anything that crossed over. And Amazon, I swear, took all day to deliver my book. <laughs> I couldn't even like post a picture because it was too dark by the time it was delivered. So check out for that picture today um, because I definitely am going to post it later. But I'm finally in Iron Flame. I'm loving it. I hope you guys are loving it. I did just post yesterday a bonus episode of Tan Tropes on my Patreon that discusses the two Zayden POV chapters from Fourth Wing. So if you're interested in that, go on and pop over to Patreon to check that out. It is available for any paid member tier. Um, so it's only minimum $5 a month. You're going to get all those bonuses plus a whole bunch more. I'm going to post that on Instagram a little later to let you guys know all of the benefits of joining the Patreon. Um, so keep an eye out for that as well because there's a lot of really fun stuff that I have planned for Patreon coming up. But I really love seeing everybody's outfits and, like, cosplays for all of the midnight release parties. I'm seeing Red Tower, like, repost all of the photos that are shared on Instagram. And it just looked like everyone had such a good time. I know I had a, um, like, a bond with a dragon game at my Barnes Noble. And I got a blue dagger tail. So it was really exciting. Um, we had trivia. I'm pretty sure I aced the quiz. But I don't know. <laughs> they said they're going to call the winners with the prizes. But um, it was a lot of fun. I had a really good time. And I was really excited to see a bunch of book lovers, like, all in one spot again. So that was really, really cool. I saw that some, like, other smaller bookstores had, like, themed cupcakes and custom cookies. And they had, like, different merch. And it was just, like, really cool seeing all of that. And... I wish I could have been at every single party because every single party I've seen so far has had just something unique and something different. And it was so cool. So I hope you guys had so much fun at your parties, whichever one you went to. I hope that your book came in if you ordered it in good condition, um, which is why I ordered two. Thank goodness, because one of them came in damaged. <laughs> um, so I hope you all got the sprayed edges even though they weren't really showing up on Amazon with sprayed edges anymore. I hope you guys got your sprayed edges. Um, if not, good luck finding them in store. Sincerely, I hope you find them. I hope you guys get them. Speaking of Iron Flame, though, I do have kind of a special announcement. If you guys have noticed, there are five Wednesdays in November, and I have split our current book of the month into four weeks, which means I have an extra week to fill this month. And what I'm going to do with that if you're on Patreon, you already know. But what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to discuss the entirety of Iron Flame in a single episode. And that's going to be the last Wednesday of November, which is going to be November 29th. So if you want to hang out with me for that, 
we're just adding another book onto this month, um, which you guys are all reading Iron Flame anyway. <laughs> um, but we're gonna we're gonna meet up on that Wednesday for that. So if you guys have your theories or questions or reactions along the way, send go ahead and send those to me because I want to see your guys' reactions in like real time. So I'm really excited for that. But please make sure you check out the show that day. It's gonna be a whole lot of fun. Um but I think that's kind of all I have for now. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. My sister and I made each other boot baskets last month, and that was such a fun experience. I really love doing that with her. But one of the things she got me in the boot basket was a uh, tea blend, and it was just like this little sample pack. But oh my goodness, this thing smells so good, and it tastes even better. It is Ladies' Choice Good Memories Tea from... Um, Foxy Corporation. You can find it at moondragonden.com. And it is so good. It smells like falling Christmas just bleeding together. And I absolutely love it. I'm so glad she found this for me because it is so good. Um, it's really affordable too. They have a whole bunch of different flavors. So you guys can try out a whole bunch of different ones um, for a really good price. So go ahead and check that out. That's our tea of the week this week. Um, I'll post the link on Instagram, but yeah, it was very, very delicious. I love it a lot. And she was just so sweet to find this for me because it, it was a really good find. <laughs> so when we last left off, um, in the daughter of red winter rain had helped the men who were chasing Hazia. Um, she helped them defeat the K walk and then, after everybody li that lived here at the monastery, almost everybody was dead. Um, she went with them and was traveling with them back to Red Winter. So chapter 10 is where we're starting today. As they're traveling, they are stopped by other soldiers from Red Winter that are coming after Ulavar to arrest him by order of the Grand Master because she had sent the order that nobody was to go after Hazia and he disobeyed that to try to stop her because he knew that she had the page. They're telling him to give them the artifact that's in the, the metal box and he's saying, no, you guys can't handle it. Um, someone has to be fourth gate or higher in order to carry this box. And I remember last episode, I had asked what was in the box and it didn't click to me that the page or the page and the book, however, um, however it is, is in the box. Like it's literally the item that Hazia had. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't make that connection last episode. I think I was just really overwhelmed with like all the information that we were getting at the time. 
but I made that connection now. <laughs> so you guys probably think I'm an idiot. It's totally fine. Sometimes, you know, you just have to read things in a new perspective or with a new mind to, to catch the little things that you missed the first time. But anyway, that's what's in the box. At least I believe it is. <laughs> Let me know if you guys think something different, but that's where I'm at. So anyway, it's here that we find out that Ulavar is fourth gate specifically. And I really liked this chapter because it broke down what each of the gates were. And prior to this, I was really confused about the magic system in general in this series um, or in this book specifically, but we get the breakdown of the gates. So the first gate is the self gate, otherwise known as EO. Um, and that's where you can connect yourself with the world around you. And that's the gate that Rain is capable of reaching. Um, and that's where she's hearing the drumming from. Uh, the second one is Other, and that's where you can manipulate the world around you. Um, and we see a little hint of that later on, and I'll talk about it as well. Um, the third gate is Tyne, or Elements, and that's where you can um, manipulate elements, like fodder, sorry, fod water, fire, earth, um, air, you know, think Avatar. Um the fourth gate is the mind gate, and that's where you can protect yourself and others. The fifth gate is healing, um, also known as Vey. Uh, the sixth gate is skull, which is um, death, and it is forbidden from being used. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and the seventh gate is gay or G. I don't know however you pronounce it, um, but that is the creation gate. Um, the gates are going to come into play a lot in this, these chapters specifically, and I'm sure even more so as the book continues. But I really liked that we got that breakdown at this point because I was really starting to get confused as to how the magic system worked. But Rain does tell us um, or narrates that she remembers hearing the Drian drums throughout her childhood and like her entire life. So she's always had this ability. I just don't think she knew one, what it was or two, how to use it or control it or manifest it any further. As the Red Winter soldiers are trying to arrest Ulavar, Rain does pull the um, bow, the magical bow that she got from the catacombs and she shoots one out to them, um, and the battle commences. They flee and run off because Ulavar is very weak because he's using his gate to protect himself from the page that possessed Hazia, so he's trying not to be possessed as well, um, and they run off. Ulavar then admits that he is too weak because it is just taking all of his energy to protect himself from this, um, and he asked his nephew, Ovidus, Ovitus, I'm, I'm not sure which way it's pronounced, but um, he asked his nephew to hold the first gate and be the eyes and ears around them while they're resting. Um, Rain offers to help because she is able to use the first gate. And he says, no, she doesn't know how to control it. She's too much of a target. And if she uses her gate, then everyone will know where she is. So instead, he tells her to clear her mind and to not think about anything at all. 
Um, in order to kind of distract her from doing this, she starts stitching up his wounds. And in this scene is where we get a lot of her backstory about her mother and just growing up and how she ran away and joined the sisters. Um, and she opens the gate accidentally. <laughs> and the scene ends with her just feeling everything around her. She feels animals, bushes swaying, you know, wind blowing. And it. she describes it as being, like, very clear and freeing. In Chapter 11, they make it to Tor Mardul, um, where Ovidus, that's just what we're going to stick with, the nephew, um, he does an incantation that was previously prepared before they had left. And it is intended to call their friends back in Red Winter to come help them. Um, I thought it was really interesting here that Rain asks if that's magic. So in this world, it seems that the gates are not considered magic, but there is other magic and like sorcery to be had. Um, while I was trying to figure out how to pronounce the Drian, um, I still don't even know if that's correct. I'm basing it off of the Dree, which is um, Gaelic for magician, is from what I had read. It's a Scottish Gaelic. So I thought that was really interesting, considering that this isn't considered magic if she's asking about the incantation being magic. But I don't know. I hope we find out more about that. But um, she asked a couple times in these chapters if something is magic or not. So I just thought that was really interesting and something that I'm going to be keeping an eye out for. In Chapter 12, Rain and Ovidus are talking. And she says how she doesn't care about everyone dying in Del Nese. This stood out to me. Because I know previously she had started, like, questioning herself about who she was. Um, but I didn't get the sense that she was changing who she was until this moment. Because prior to this, she literally, like, started this entire thing just by helping somebody in need. And then, you know, she denied the man help um, up the stairs and then... Now she's saying that she doesn't even care that everyone she knew had died. So we keep seeing this as kind of a gradual change in her personality that I thought was really, really fascinating. She even says that old Rain would have cared. Old Rain would have been really upset, but the new Rain just doesn't have those feelings. The only feeling that she has currently is fear. As they're talking, they see some riders coming across the or like over the field. And at first they think that the incantation that Ovidus had used to call help for help had worked because they he sees his cousin coming over. And he gets really excited that they came for help. But unfortunately, they're not there <laughs> um, to help them. They were already there with the previous guards that were coming to arrest them, and they're here to finish the arrest. Again, Rain is willing to fight 
to protect Olivarin. She picks up the bow again. Um, but the cousin, his name is Sanvant, um, and he throws his sword, which when I pictured this was hilarious in my eyes, but he threw his sword and knocked the bow out of her hand. Um, just the way that I imagined it was really, really funny to me. I don't know why. Because if anything, it's a testament to his strength. But it's during this little altercation that the Grand Master Robo- Robolar, Rubolar appears. Um, and she's described as this very old woman with metal, like, holding her head together. It was very sick and gruesome. Um, but she appears and she says that Ulivar will come home and stand trial. And then... They are all going to head to Red Winter. Samvant also takes the bow away from Rain. Well, picks it up off the ground after he knocked it out of her hand. But he now has that as well. And they get on the road to Red Winter. In Chapter 13, they are traveling. And they hear, like, rustling in the trees. And Rain asks Ovidus what it is. And he says that it's the hidden folk um, and that they're more of just, like, living sounds than anything. And it's at this point that I realized that they're, like, lesser fairies, like brownies. And I'm not too, 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 too familiar with full Celtic fairy legends or fairy lore. Um, but I know a little bit. And knowing now that there's, like, lesser fairy... In this book, too, it just kind of excited me a little bit because I feel like you're not going to mention that unless it's going to come back again later, which it does. We'll talk about it. So we get to Red Winter. We learn a little bit about the town. Uh, we learn about the round chamber that is off limits to everyone that's not part of the council. And Ulivar is conversing with the Grandmaster. So Rain, Ovidus... And his associate, who I didn't really talk about last chapter, but it was a female warrior who had come with them. Her name is Escher. But they're all hanging out. And Savant gives Rain um, what's called rose thistle, which is a form of alcohol, if you will. Um, it wakes her up so she doesn't have to sleep because she says she doesn't want to sleep. She's afraid of the nightmares. And so she's like hanging out and she's loving this and she describes it as if she took it every day or all the time she would never have to sleep again which makes me a little worried that she kind of has like an addictive personality or that this is going to come into play and is going to negatively affect her when she needs to be the most in focus she's going to think that this is going to help her focus this is going to keep her awake this is going to keep it clear for her um when in fact i think it's going to be the detriment of her but we're going to see about that <laughs> um anyway so rain asks savant why he is called wild rose and he gets really offended but we don't learn why that's an offensive name yet Ulivar comes back and takes rain back to his estate or his house um and is telling his butler, essentially, that 
Rain is going to be his new apprentice. And what that means is that he's going to teach her how to use the gates. She is given Hazia's room since, you know, Hazia is not coming back anytime soon. In chapter 14, it starts off with Rain admitting that she wants power. And she thinks that she can get that by learning from Ulavar. So she decides to stay here in Red Winter and become the apprentice so that she can get that power. A tailor is sent in to get her measurements so that she can make a new wardrobe for her since she didn't have any clothes since they kind of fled really quickly. Um, But in the meantime, she's going to borrow clothes from Escher, who was the girl just a couple minutes ago. And it's here that Escher tells her that she hopes she stays and that she should feel safe here. And this brought me back to the feathered queen ghost that had appeared and said that people were going to make her feel safe and comfortable and home at home. Um, But she still has to hide who she is and hide her gravesite from them. And we're seeing this comfortability and acceptance very, very quickly of her arriving. In chapter 15, Ulivar is taking Rain to meet the Grandmaster, who, by the way, is no longer old and disgusting. She is now younger. She's very beautiful, very well put together, soft skin, perfect skin, um, perfect hair, etc. And his goal is to ask the Grandmaster permission to train Rain as his apprentice. So the Grandmaster has some questions for Rain herself, and so she takes Rain into her own mind. And it's there that she asked to see the Rain's memory from the battle at the monastery. She wants to see the imaginated recreation of the K-Walk so that she can see it for herself, even if it's distressed by Rain's fear of it. She also tells Rain that she is able to appear young um, by her use of the fifth gate So, in reality, she is very, very, very old. And we also learned that there are five crowns um, and where they are. And that whenever there's a new king, they must go to the crown. And many of the heirs don't live through that experience. We also learned that when Ulivar offered to help Rain kind of calm down back in the monastery... He accidentally, like, severed her mind. And that's why we're seeing a new Rain now versus who she was at the beginning. Because at this point, there's a scar in her mind that essentially cut out that part of her that made her lose her emotions for those people and, you know, the feeling of loss and sadness. The Grandmaster then asks Rain what she wants, and she says that she wants to be free But that was not a satisfying answer to the Grandmaster, and so she denies Ulivar's request to train Rain in the gates. However, she does approve of her working for him. So she returns back to his estate to be a first retainer, which is like the butler, um, as long as she doesn't learn any of the trances or the gates. In Chapter 16, we have a cute little scene between her and Sanvant where... um, when she goes to Donsong, which is essentially church, um, she sits next to him and they're kind of like chit-chatting through church. And it was really cute. They have like the woman stretching them and the whole shebang. And they just had a really cute interaction here that I was like, okay, so this is kind of butting into something more. She's shown a couple of the duties that she will be having as a first retainer. And one of those is 
very related. So she's told that once a week she has to bring a tray of food and a raw piece of meat to this door that's in the garden. And she must leave it there for the hidden folk. And I have seen this um, use of offerings to fairies in a lot of media. And essentially, if you leave the offerings, it kind of helps them be on your side and they'll, they kind of have your back. Um, but if you don't leave the offerings, then they get very angry with you. And the butler explains how the last time they missed a week that the fairies had gone into the house and were like eating cheese and um, knocking over glasses of water and just causing havoc. And so it's very important that she does not miss a week and that she does not forget to bring the raw piece of meat for whatever the hidden folk is that lives specifically behind the door. In chapter 17, Savant is showing rain around this, um, not the city, but the the grounds of the estate. And he shows her where the Blackwell vault is. And that is where Hazia had broken into and stolen the page from. And we learned that it was protected by a soul web, which is a form of ward that you can only get past if you are fourth gate or higher, which there are only six living people who have fourth gate ability that exist in the world at this moment. So the big question is, how did Hazia get through? And in my mind, I think it's obvious that somebody helped her. I don't know who yet, but she definitely didn't do it alone. There's some more sinister aspects going on here. Savant seemed to be really having a bad day this day, and Rain even admits to herself that, you know, she thought that they were friends because of what the experience that they had shared while at Donsong. And... It was very upsetting for her that all of a sudden he was very cold and distant and, you know, just didn't seem like he wanted to be around her at all. And she even admitted that there was a little bit of attraction for him and she had hoped that it would spark into something more. But unfortunately, it it doesn't seem like it's going that way anymore. So Escher comes along and she shows Rain where the baths are and they take a bath together in like this big bathing chamber and they're talking about, like, their scars that they have on their body and the backstories of how they got them. And Rain is just really admiring Asher's, like, confidence in who she is and how she doesn't feel the need to hide her scars and she doesn't feel the need to hide her eye. And Rain just keeps describing her as, like, this perfect person. And she refuses to admit to herself that the spark that she wanted to feel with Savant is now what she's feeling for Escher. When she had first met Escher, she had called her, sorry, Escher had called Rain a fiad, which meant wildcat. Um, and at the time, it was supposed to be an insult, but now she calls her it again, and it's meant to be endearing. And I thought this little interaction between them was so cute, and I am rooting for them so hard, you guys. I, I was totally fine with her and Savant, but seeing her interact with Escher, I'm just like, yes, get it. In chapter 18, it was very, very short, but Ulivar, um has his hearing, and we learn that he actually didn't know that he could hold the page for as long as he did. He was nervous and unsure of himself being able to do that. And that's all we have for the book today. I feel like we got a lot of kind of filler information 
for something bigger that's to come. We still have a little more than half of the book left that we're going to split up in the next couple weeks. But it just seems like for a big part of her personality to be the gravesite, we're not getting a lot of ghost. And we obviously haven't had that queen ghost come back recently. So I'm waiting for her to make another appearance and give her some more information and how the gravesite is going to end up being her strength as opposed to her detriment. You know what I mean? So (laughs) I think we have a long way to go, but I'm really enjoying it so far. And the world is really immersive and really intricate and interesting. So I can't wait. And we're going to go through chapters 19 through 27 next week. So make sure you come back to check that out with us. But don't go anywhere right now because we do have another very special author interview. Today we're talking to Cindy, a.k.a. C.K. Donnelly. Um, I just totally blanked what I was going to say. I'm so sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Kimby. I write as C.K. Donnelly. I'm an epic fantasy writer. And today I am on Tea and Tropes Book Club podcast with the wonderful Brianna. <laughs> Thank you for jumping in there. <laughs> my, oh. my brain's in the mornings just like, doesn't oh, want to work. Well, you were up late for the release party. So. <laughs> Okay, so tell me about your fantasy series. The first one is Trine Rising. Correct. Correct. Yes. Right now, uh, we have three books out in the Kandera Saga. The first book is Trine Rising, and that's kind of obviously our opening chapter uh, to the whole series in the saga. And uh, I, I love to play around with my pitch, but it's what would you do if to take up your destiny meant the destruction of everything you loved? That's what my main character, Marana Penal, faces. She's 16 years old, and she has incredible powers, a rare combination of powers that almost never happens, yet she has visions if she wields her powers, she will destroy her homeland. So when her homeland is attacked, what is she going to do? Is she going to be able to use them for, for good? Is she going to make things a hell of a lot worse? And so that's what she's fighting against in the first book. And like nobody knows that she has these powers. She ends up coming out of the closet, if you will, when her homeland is attacked. And only her boyfriend, who does not have powers, knows. So that makes for an interesting dynamic in their relationship. And then book two, trying fallacy, she kind of that that that's our our time where she goes off with her mentor on a quest and is learning her powers the quest is 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 twofold a you know there's this watchtower that supposedly saved her homeland um from from destruction um but the story behind that was if she finds out more clues about the watchtower she'll find more clues about her destiny and then book 3 trying revelation is kind of our our conclusion everything comes together now she knows a little bit more about her powers but you know what what is she going to do with them and how is she going to right wrongs and and stop the nemesis the dark trine who is not who you think he is <laughs> that sounds fascinating super high stakes too yes so what gave you this idea how did you start it it's funny um two words really kicked it off star wars <laughs> 
Look, I, I'm, I'm dating myself. I am an unapologetic Gen Xer, and I was just about ten or eleven when the first Star Wars, the real first Star Wars, you know, Episode Four, which really should be Episode One, but anyway, just you know, I was just entranced. I mean, when that spaceship came over the head, the Star Destroyer, the Star Cruiser, I just my jaw fell in my lap, and for a whole hour and a half, I didn't move. <laughs> But and that just, I love the story. I love how it was, a little, you know, science fiction, yet it had that fantastical element with the Jedi Knights and magic. And that was just really, really unique. And I love that story. And that then branched on to, you know, learning about Lord of the Rings and, and some of the other uh, great fantasy books and science fiction. So I wrote a, in the late 90s, I wrote a fanfic book based on... Um, Star Wars, my own characters, but within the Star Wars universe. You know, friends and family thought it was great, but you can only get so far being a cover band. So I said, what can I take away from the Star Wars universe that I love and make it mine, make it truly unique and my own system of magic and that sort of thing. So that's kind of how the the uh, impetus to create the Kandera saga the system of magic, the land, uh, and the characters kind of all had those beginnings in Star Wars. Do you have any, like, Star Wars Easter eggs in your book? Yes. Yes, you do? <laughs> Can you share one? Yes, yes. Uh, what what chapter is it? I don't know, somewhere around chapter 12 or whatever. Miranda runs in, yells, it's a trap! <laughs> <laughs> Love it! Oh yeah. gosh, that's awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah. I yeah. love Star Wars too. I'm I definitely wasn't around when they first came out, unfortunately. I would have loved to be in that hype. I bet that was just so much fun. Well, it was it was amazing. Uh it well, as we know, it came out late May of 77, and we didn't go see it until Christmas time or Christmas break from from school. So it was December. Rose are behinds off standing outside the theater, you know, wrapped around in circles, you know, and um, then finally got in to see it. And I think that's half why I was so giddy is it was so happy to be warm again. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Chicago, so we have real winter. Oh. I'm like, you know, you and I were both based here in the Phoenix metro area. So, <laughs> yeah, we don't have winter here, really. <laughs> I no. would give anything for a white Christmas one year, but, you know, that's not going to happen here. <laughs> That's what Flagstaff is for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a short two-hour drive, no problem. Yes, yes. And then you, you can go ski in the morning and play golf in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Arizona. <laughs> is this series um, a completed series then, or are you planning to add more to it later? Oh, of course there's more. Look out, Robert Jordan. <laughs> You're going to do a full 14? Uh, maybe, well, all told, probably. But this this is how it breaks down. So, you know, we have our first three books out and now. And at the end of book three, you do get a nice, satisfying ending. So, I mean, don't, don't, I'm not leaving you folks hanging for three years. So, um, so you do get that. But yes, um, this central series with Marana and Teague and some of the characters we meet along the way vision about eight books um book four i have in in uh, outline so hopefully this spring we're going to begin working on that and so book four will be a standalone book five will be a standalone and then six seven eight will kind of be a concluding trilogy for most of marana's story but i also envision there's a couple of pivotal characters in the story and i want to do uh 
each having their own origin story trilogy. So got two more of those. And then a sequel series with um, the kind of the next generation of uh, uh, Falkeen. That's my magic users. And then I would love, love, love to do a graphic novel series. I have a couple of major minor characters, which are wonderful, and I really want to explore them and their lives. So hey, any graphic art, graphic uh, novel artists out there, uh, uh, drop me an email. <laughs> um, so I would love to do that. And then there's other things, you know, who knows where, you know, money and time go, but it'd be great to do a massive, um, uh, you know, online uh, computer game, you know, video game, kind of like wow. uh, World of Warcraft or, or, you know, that kind of thing. That would be amazing to do. Um, Call of Duty, you know, uh, epic fantasy style. That I would love to do that. So there's lots of things. I would love to have a jewelry line with Pandora because we have amulets and that's kind of like how my magic users kind of condense and focus their powers are through a genuine, you know, a pure gemstone crystal. And it'd be so amazing to have a jewelry line. So I have so many marketing angles. <laughs> I love this full marketing plan. Um, <laughs> you mentioned like the games, the jewelry. I'm like, yo, I'm here for all of it. <laughs> Match three, I would love to do because I love match threes. You know, some of these other ones are a little bit, you know, right now they're kind of complex, you know, but you know, even little, little match three games, you know, matching the amulets on the board. I love those. That's awesome. Do you have any of those like in the works currently? No, unfortunately, I do not. Um, uh, it's you know, put it, that's why I love doing podcasts, put it out there, you know, from our lips to God's ears. Uh, what I am working on right now is the audiobook for book one for, for Trying Rising. We just finished all of our pickups and edits, and I've been contacting recording engineers. So, uh, Nick Tantalillo, you better get back to me because I just gave you my pitch and I need to do this audiobook now. So, <laughs> so hopefully, uh, we will get that uh, going here in a few. Um, in a few weeks. Um, I'd hope to get it out for holiday time. I don't think we're quite going to get it. But uh, hey, you got to use your gift cards in January for something. So let's hope we can get our audio book out. So that's been <laughs> a Herculean effort in and of itself. So that's kind of what we're focused on right now and marketing. Um, it's been a long road to get to this point. And only just now are we starting to see people coming to our signings and things like that. So that's why book four was kind of delayed somewhat. So uh, what was the process of finding like a narrator for your book? Did you like listen to everybody and like... <laughs> I'm the favorite. narrator. Nobody knows. Oh, you did it. <laughs> no, I loved it. I, I, you know, I never wanted anybody else to read it because I wanted to, to, to be able to do it. It's, it's, it's a joy. It's a, a, the way for me to bring you all the book, the way that I hear it and see it. I wish that I could have had a budget to do, you know, full on uh, podcast drama with sound effects and all of that. And and that's just not available to, to me right now. But someday, who knows, we'll do, you know, version two, the SE edition. <laughs> um, but I loved reading it and uh, had so much fun doing that in my little, you know, my closet, literally my clothes closet is where I recorded it. 
I hear a lot of people do that. They like set up inside their closet with like the blanket over their head and everything. (laughs) Right. If you think about it, you have all those, it's a small space for one thing, and you have all those clothes. So it's a natural baffling effect. So you don't get quite as much reverb and echo. Like right now, you could probably hear it. I'm in my office and it's a big blank space with big walls and stuff. I didn't think about the ceiling. I've learned so much. In fact, I have a series of podcasts, or not podcasts, I have a series of, you know, videos and whatnot that I'm doing on my social media channels, kind of uh, recording my my trials and tribulations of making an audiobook. And um, so that was something to learn. You do get some bouncing off the ceiling, but it's, it's you know, a great space to do it because, you know, the sound is much more dampened than any place else and it's free. <laughs> yeah, learning like the... Um just audio aspect of everything was such a curve for me. Oh my God. Yeah. And I wish I knew all of this before I started as, as usual case. I mean, it's the same thing with learning how to self-publish. Well, what kind of PDF do they need? You know, um, so that was, we're, we're a bit behind the eight ball. I was not able to get it to conform to ACX standard. For those of you out there, most audiobooks require a standard called ACX. It's like what Audible is, and you have to have certain metrics of where your volume and whatnot fall into. Um, and so uh, I, that's why I'm having to use a recording engineer to see if they can, you know, make this thing conform. I hope to God they do. <laughs> I don't. I'm screwed. <laughs> so, okay. So you self-published the series, yeah? Yes. Not and by choice. Not I, by choice. <laughs> I desperately wanted a, you know, traditional contract and, you know, to find an agent and all of that. Uh, certainly there's, there's a pride element, I won't lie, but Traditional publishing houses, and I'm talking the big five, I'm not necessarily talking hybrid, they have the hands-down advantage in distribution. Uh, as soon as you have, you know, Simon & Schuster or Penguin or Random House, you know, on, on your spine there, you are pretty much guaranteed to get slots in, in bookstores without, you know, questions asked. And that was really important to me because I desperately wanted people to be able to pick up these books, to see them, feel them, look at the cover, flip through it more so than, you know, purchasing it on, you know, online someplace. But unfortunately, after more than 100 queries, uh, agents just weren't uh, uh, picking us up. And so I had a do or die moment. It was literally Christmas Eve. I was sitting on my kitchen floor, getting ready to, I was uh, sing in church choir, getting ready to go see, and I am sobbing, just like ugly cry, totally done, just like can't even breathe sobbing that, you know, I'm like, if, if I, my only choice, if I want the world to see Marana and see Kandera Saga is to do it myself. So that was the only choice I had. <laughs> so what was your experience in doing that? Um, how was the, the learning curve for you there? Because I know it wasn't something that you had originally planned for. So did you find it difficult? Um, th- there, were, there were moments. Um, finding, a, finding an editor, a good editor, um, was important. Um, that took a few go-arounds to find the right person. Uh, there, 
but it wasn't I I'm not difficult to work with because I was a journalist so I had someone edit me all day every day long and so I love working with a good editor because they make you even more beautiful on paper so you know I had no problem with that but it was just finding someone who philosophically embraced the story um he had a lot of false starts there. Um, so I did finally find an editor, the wonderful uh, Susan Barnes, and maybe I'll, I'll send you some something so you can tag her. Um, I was looked for someone who had big five experience, big publishing house experience in my genre. And that's something that's extremely important that I want, if there's any writers out there that are thinking about it. Take the time, and yes, it is an investment, but find someone who has been a novel editor at a major publishing house who does your genre. Like, I wouldn't have sent mine to a memoir person or someone who does uh, book club fiction. You know, epic fantasy is a different animal, as is, you know, horror or urban fantasy or, you know, book club fiction or anything like that. It is so important. Just because your friend is an English teacher, they may be able to pick up your comma splices, but they are not going to know the intrinsics many times of character arc, story arc. It's the developmental edit that everyone needs and that you're only going to get from an experienced uh, professional editor. And you said that you had a history of marketing. Did that help you market yourself or... Was no. that a learning curve too? Was that different? Not at all. I actually <laughs> didn't have much marketing experience. Oh. I'm just, you know, I was a journalist. So, you know, I, you know, just kind of, yeah, I developed the skill to talk to perfect strangers and be delightfully annoying. But um, <laughs> So at least I, I, I'm not that kind of uh, uh, author that's, that's shy and has a problem, you know, talking with potential readers and that sort of thing. So that helped. But no, I had to learn everything. I mean, I was involved in social media, you know, from from a journalist, you know, perspective, putting up the headlines of the, the next, you know, issue coming out. But trying to learn, you know, all the intricacies of video and, you know, constantly chasing Elgrim, which which I still don't have the magic for. I, I, I don't know what people want, but I'm, I'm there. At least I'm present and I'm trying. Um, so learning all of that, um, you know, I knew what journalists wanted from my perspective. So maybe I crafted um, some press releases that were a little bit better because I knew to put in a hook. You know, I know what journalists look for. So that did help. Um, I had two experiences with publicists. Both were heart shattering, and 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 you know, <laughs> lost a lot of money. And um, that that was a tragic, in couple tragic episodes in, in that. And I would still dearly love to have a publicist to pick up some of the heavy lifting, but uh, burn twice. <laughs> I well, let's just say I can't retire now. <laughs> I'm sorry that happened. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, this is something I think that's important for all authors to understand whether you're, you know, traditionally published or independently published. You are running a business. You're running a business first and writing books second. Your books are your product, 
but you still have to, you know, watch your numbers. How much are you spending? How much are you receiving? You still, you have to market it. You have to be your own publicist. You have to, uh, you know, get all your own events, you, your quality control, just because Ingram published something, you know, printed something, you got to look, is it nice? Did it work? Is the pages wonky? You know, you have to do everything. It's running a business and, you know, just so happens that you're an author. Do you do this full time then or do you have a side gig? Right now, I, I actually um, left my my last job. I was doing some retail part time a couple weeks ago. So I am dabbling doing this full time. We had an incredible summer uh with uh doing book signings uh, i have to give a shout out to barnes and noble i know uh I, they have been so important to to my career and getting me on the page i will go and do a book signing at barnes and noble anywhere i don't care where you are we've actually gone to virtually all the barnes and nobles here in the state of arizona um they have been amazing for me um so you know that's 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 been helpful and really kind of getting us out there. And so we're trying, we'll see. Um, I'm worried that, you know, did I pull the gun to pull the trigger too quickly? And now, you know, what am I going to do in February? Cricket, cricket, cricket. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> I definitely, I, I go to a lot of Barnes and Nobles. Um, I've seen your books. I, I'm sure every single one that I've been to, <laughs> I, I really have. And once you contacted me, I was like, I know your name. I've seen your covers. This is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> or is it actually bad? They should be sold, selling. They shouldn't still be on the shelves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, wonderful. I, I, I'm thrilled. Especially, I got to give a shout out to Chandler. Barnes & Noble and Chandler at the uh, Chandler Fashion Mall. And Felicity there, who's now the uh, events manager, they have been, I like to consider them my home store, even though I'm up here in the Northern part of the Valley, Northeast part of the Valley, but they, they've been amazing. And I can't wait to go back there and do something again. We're, I'm trying to think of how I'm going to do a launch for my audiobook. I don't know how that works, but that's uh, kind of rattling around the back of my mind. And that's, I was just at Chandler last night. That's where I went for the party. They did a great job. There was like games and like, trivia oh, and it, it, it was a lot of fun yeah so mm -hmm. if if it's you know felicity you said was her name yes yeah if, yeah. yeah if she if she organized that i thought she did a really good job it seemed very organized it seemed very well thought out they had decorations and balloons and it was really cool <laughs> yeah yeah you know they work so they being the the chain as far as i know as a whole work so well with local and independent authors i mean like I said, you're running a business. So go up there, you know, dress, you know, fairly nice. I'm not, you know, not, don't go in with a tank top and shorts, but dress decently. And, you know, I have a press kit. So I have a, a full bio, you know, about myself. And I've got hype sheets for each one of the books. And I have it all in a nice folder with tons of business cards. And I bring in copies of my books. So, I go in there and I pitch them, so, you know, so they can see and I give them the books for free. It's just cost of doing business. And this is what I want to bring to, you know, your store. And um, I've never been refused. And now I've done, like I said, 
almost all of the ones in Arizona. And we did a couple. We just got back from a tour in Colorado. And we did a couple of Barnes & Nobles up in Colorado. I'm hoping to get something going with a brand new Barnes & Noble in Cheyenne. Somehow we ended up connecting on Instagram. So I'd love to get up there at some point after the chance for snow is done. Right. <laughs> so maybe in the spring. Don't need to go up to Wyoming in winter. That doesn't sound fun. Sorry, no. Wyomingans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love you. You know, the, well, it's not getting up there this problem. I, I just want to make sure I can get back. <laughs> right. You don't want to get stuck in Wyoming for winter. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you do any of like the the conventions? I should ask that. Um, I I am going to start doing them in uh, 2024. That is our goals. That's our business goals for 2024. Um, I'm already locked in. We did the Tucson um, the Tucson Festival of Books last year. Did great. Loved it. That really helped us. We're doing it again this year. Um, I will be doing the San Diego Writers Fest. And then we're looking at a few others. We're considering, uh, uh, I think, it, well, the Phoenix uh, Fan Fusion. Uh, so when they open that up for, for exhibitors, we're, we're going to do that. And I'm considering there's a Fanex up in Utah. And that's a real good one. I don't think San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con are a little bit beyond our budget at this point. But... We would love to do those. So right now, those are the couple that that we're thinking about. Possibly Payson. They have a smaller show in July, so that's a good time. And uh, we also hope to, like I said, get out uh, to Chicago and the Boston area and do some stores. There's some indie stores and some Barnes & Nobles um, that I would love to do uh, next year as well. I want really, really much to get on a panel. Um, I have a couple of workshops that I teach. I have a third one that I'm trying to um, make some space for to create. I teach one just on novel writing, the five keys to novel writing. And then I just have a, my newest one is on world building, not just for fantasy. So it's basically anybody with uh, fiction, memoir, or literary nonfiction. Um, so I would love to get on some panels. And then, you know, sometimes costs are... are a little bit easier for that. And plus, you know, you're almost guaranteed to get some sales then. Yeah, whoever come watches your panel will definitely get a lot more interested. Um right. okay, but what what are the five keys of novel writing in like quick form? Oh, okay. Uh let's see. Well, there's story arc, character arc, doing exposition well, and I blanked on the other two. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I know. I just threw that at you. I, I didn't prepare you for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I quick have to refer to my notes. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> it's like the pressure's on. My sister has this thing where if you ask her a trivia question randomly at any time, she'll just blank. And then she'll just forget everything. I'll be like, what's your name? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> what is it? Spell the word cat. She's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny oh, i know i hate that <laughs> oh, okay yes it is is story arc character arc point of view show and tell and exposition if you can Perfect. nail those five things down you are off to the races and it'll make your life and your developmenters life developmental editor's life so much easier i knew i was missing some <laughs> yeah that would be a really fun panel to sit in at um, yeah. at a convention. 
Oh, yeah. And I bring in video clips and stuff like that. Like, for point of view, what one of the greatest uh, uh, movies that you can see that gives you some really good lessons is Kung Fu Panda. I kid you not. <laughs> it is a perfectly illustrated version of the hero's journey. And you know that point when he's in the dojo, Poe's in the dojo, and he's watching the Furious Five go through and do all their stuff. And the way that, you know, they cut away and then you can see it through, you know, first they have a camera on his face and then it goes to what ostensibly he's looking at and his just childlike wonder in his <laughs> eyes and it cuts back. It's a really good way. Now, granted, that's a visual element, not writing, but that's kind of where I'm getting at of, an, you know, an example of good point of view. And so I bring in those kind of clips from there and, and lots of clips. So do you use Star Wars clips? Yes, <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> it all comes back around. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's the one thing I want to give, you know, early and even intermediate writers. The climax is not the big comeuppance in the end. No, that's the actually technically called the resolution. The climax. So Luke destroying the Death Star is not the climax of the story. That's the resolution of everything. The climax is the high point midway where the character finally puts on their big girl pants and goes and kicks ass. I think for Star Wars, that would probably be where Luke sees Ben killed. Now, it would have been better if Han didn't say, come on, buddy, we're not out of this yet, and he takes a Qui-Gon. It would have been better if Luke volunteered to do it. It would have been much stronger showing him really taking action. But, you know, he is willing to fight, and he does sign up for, for the battle. But So I want people to know, don't hold off the big payload. It doesn't come at the end. It comes in the middle. And what he does with that, or she, that's the resolution. So that's a little tidbit from my workshop. <laughs> Where do you do your workshops at? Sometimes I do them online through writers groups. Like I will be doing the world building one with the Phoenix Writers Network coming up in mid-July. So we've got that one scheduled. So that'll be fun. Then you can see me in all the crazy faces that I make. <laughs> and I've seen a couple of your videos that you post on Instagram. Um... Oh. You had mentioned, like, you weren't shy. And I'm like, yeah, I saw that video of you, like, on the PA system. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Oh, I got in trouble. <laughs> oh, did you? Tell me. me. <laughs> Who told you you could do that? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> don't ask permission, ask forgiveness, right? <laughs> well, I think it was super cute. I loved I it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> and it made everybody laugh. So... <laughs> So you just announced, what was it, yesterday, that you have a signing at Stacks in Oro? Yes. Yes, I'm so excited. How, how'd that come about? Did well, you reach out to them? Yeah, yeah, I did. It was, how did I discover them? I think it was just on their social media. And I was planning together, so it was about midway through summer, and I wanted to put together my Indie Autumn uh, a signing schedule and I wanted to make it all independent bookstores unfortunately that didn't quite work out but um so I was like, okay you know what indie stores are in Tucson which we've done really well with Tucson especially Tucson Eastside Brett out there and his team are phenomenal can't wait to get back to them um 
So I saw this. And so, yeah, I called them. It was a little hard to get a hold of them because they're brand spanking new. They just opened in July. So they took them a little months, a couple of months to get their, uh, uh, you know, sea legs. But um, yeah, so we reached out to them and we worked something out. So we will be out there uh, this Saturday, uh, November 11th from 12 to 2. And I love the fact that they're small, they're fresh, they're new, uh, independent. And then he also likes to bring in, he, the manager, Crispin, loves to bring in local uh, bakeries and and uh, uh, food purveyors and bring them into his cafe because they also have a cafe. So it's like books and, 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 and coffee and stuff and showcase that. And I love the whole business supporting business. Um, like I said, I was a business editor. I've been running things as a business. I used to belong to a couple of chambers. So I love the whole B2B thing that makes businesses stronger and brings so much more out to customers to enjoy. And I re that really appealed to me. So we're very excited to be out there. Yeah, I hadn't heard of them until you made that post. And I was looking at their like socials. Your and they're socials like, are awesome, aren't they? Yeah, they're like husband and wife owned. I was like, yeah. yes. And then they were like, you know, like small individual business. I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, we're doing a block party. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and they just had their their uh, new baby. So congratulations to them. And uh, so, I mean, we're really excited uh, to be there. And this will be a lot of fun. So if you're uh, anywhere in Arizona, you want to take a nice, gorgeous weather day trip, come on down and, and see see us at Stacks in Oro Valley, just north of Tucson. I was thinking about doing it because it's only about an hour from my house. Yes. Um, because I'm southeast Phoenix. Right. So I'm like, it, it's right there. It's just like yeah. a quick trip down. What was that? Like 84 or whatever that, that highway is. Oh, yeah. If you go that way. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, quick trip. I almost yeah. went last night, but I'm like, no, I already pre-ordered at Chandler. But I really wanted to go to their party last night because they had like, yeah, I, I saw it. they had like cookies and merch. And I was like, this looks so cool. <laughs> and I want to have my own midnight release party someday. I want that oh. to be me. Oh, let's do it for four. <laughs> let's do it for your fourth. Yes. <laughs> I'm down. I'll help you. I'll be there. I'll awesome. <laughs> make some merch for you. I'm I'm so down for this. I love parties. Yeah, right now our, our working pitch for book four is ending the war is just the beginning, keeping peace. That's the struggle. Ooh, that's strong. Dun, dun, dun. I love it. I love that so much. No, that was really goosebumps. Let me. <laughs> <laughs> and you said that's coming out in what spring? Never. Oh no! No, no, no! I have to write it. <laughs> oh, I was just no, making I, it up I in have, my head. I have a hundred and fifty page long um, outline, so now I got to put it in bookies. <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll see we'll see that. You know, it it was really. It's, it's, but I got to tell you, you know, all kidding aside, I know I've been really goofy, but this struggle has been such an emotional roller coaster from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. I'm done. Just God, I want to die. Take my life. I can't do this anymore. Um, and so we, there's been a long time we weren't sure we were ever going to even do book four because we weren't sure that the sales were there. You know, we're still building an audience. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, my, my socials are still 500, not 5,000. And I'm nowhere where I want to be or frankly need to be 
for book four. So we'll probably write it, but I mean, I need, that's why I love doing this. I want people to come read, play in my world, see the vastness of it. I want to talk to people about it. I don't want to sit there and not do anything, but I just want to, you know, talk to them about it. What color, you know, what what aspect would you have? What color amulet would you have? What what province do you want to be from? You know, do you like Marana? Doesn't she make you just want to scream when she does X? Aren't you so thrilled when she does Y? You know, <laughs> and, uh, so I have this whole vast thing that I want to do, and we just can't get it to people enough. So that's why we do these things. Well, I think having a 150-page outline is a pretty strong start. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's half a book right there. You, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a plotter. Um, so, yeah, I write, like, scene by scene, and I'm dialogue-driven, so I'll have a lot of the choice dialogue that I want to do, and I'll have some, draw, you know, some, some sketching of uh, what I think, I mean, verbal sketching. Uh, you know, wh where the setting is and everything, because that can all come later when I'm actually writing the draft. But the point was to kind of get some sort of linear chronological idea of where I want the story to go. And it's much easier to change or edit a bullet point that's a paragraph or even a page rather than, you know, a whole chapter that you have to delete. I, I, I don't know how pantsers do it, because that would drive me nuts. <laughs> Um, for me, it's I'm dictating to you, the reader, the movie in my head. So for me, writing is I get to watch my own movie and tell you all what's going on. So it's getting to revisit a favorite movie every day. Oh, you know, I had to leave off, you know, I'm binge watching and writing it. So, oh, I had to leave off at episode four, which is chapter four. So what's happening? What, you know, and, and I always reread like a portion of what I wrote from the day before to get into character and to get back into that space. Um, but that's why when I'm in writing mode, that's where I'm at. I am watching a favorite movie in my head and telling you about it in the most visceral, descriptive way I can. Do you see it that descriptive in your head? Oh, yes. Oh, everything. everything. I hear the music. I feel the, the warmth of the sun, the cold, the wet, you know, uh, the, the smells, uh, the agony if someone's wounded. And when I like to wound people. That's a problem. Anyway, <laughs> and you know, uh, all of that. And so to be able to bring out all the sensory information is, is what I love best about writing. That's how my imagination works, too. It blew my mind the day that I found out that some people don't think like that. Really? That their, their imagination is just, like, words on, a, like, a black screen. In their head, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, how, how do you imagine things, then? Like, that's just reading a book. Like, you don't see the pictures. You don't see the characters. You don't, like... Because <laughs> like know, when I know, I yeah that that's that that's a head scratcher for me too. I'm like, how do you create if it's not also you know full on sensory information? <laughs> I'm like, my imagination will like fill in book titles in a library. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I could tell you like you know hundreds of made up authors that I just see in my head. <laughs> that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, 
But I love that you described it as like writing a movie because that's how when I'm reading, I see it as a movie. So yeah. it's the best kind of subscription service that I have. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And I, I you know, I, I have had some some readers and and I love them so much. They're saying, you know, how is this not on Netflix? And I'm like, oh, I can only hope. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's it's not the prideful uh, you know uh, comment from that it's the fact that they they're getting it they're getting what i get and that is that's the kind of validation that's so wonderful that they are seeing the big epic full john williams score thing that's happening and they're on the same page <laughs> pun intended as me <laughs> And that's why when they make comments like that, I just, I just, you know, turn into a pile of goo with gratitude because <laughs> I, I'm so happy that they are seeing the universe in my story the same way I am. Yeah, I, I can only imagine like feeling that and just knowing that somebody out there loves your work. Uh, yeah, that's that that's that's really nice. And you know, all to all my tens of fans, thank you. <laughs> oh, don't sell yourself short. Don't don't don't, don't do that. <laughs> but you know, the story behind the story is is helping people realize their dreams. My my dream, obviously, is is to be a fantasy writer, and you know, to to do this. Someone else that may be writing. The next, you know, uh, disruptive app, or you know, bringing to market their abuelitas nacho cheese sauce, um, whatever it is, to to help them, to support them, inspire them. Look, I can do it. I'm I'm a faithful woman. I couldn't get out of bed if it wasn't for God, <laughs> and you know, to help them, you know, take their next step on their own journey and show them, you know, if you're showing up. And you're saying yes. You can say no as long as you make sure you say yes after that. <laughs> and to show them that, you know, it can be done. At least, you know, get to the point where I am. And so that's the other inspirational part of what we do as, as an author or what I do as an author is to inspire other people to go after their project. So before we get, like, to the end... I have to ask you about your pen name. So here, I started my novel way back in the year 2000. And there weren't a lot of big epic fantasy writers that were women back then. Um, so I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have this whole name and the whole J.K. Rowling? And it just so happens. So the C is obviously for Cindy. K is Kibby, which is my married name. Donnelly is my maiden name. And we didn't have a lot of people in our family to to carry on that name. So I wanted to, it was a personal thing also to give back and to have a, a family legacy. So that's how I came up with the pen name. Beautiful story. In practice, it's a pain in the butt. No one knows what to call you. Hey, CK, oh, it's Ms. Donnelly. And I'm like, God, I haven't gone by that for 30 years, you know. <laughs> And so it's been a little bit difficult in that sense when you're doing live presentations. Um, but I'm still proud that, you know, there's something of my entire life in that pen name. Yeah, that's really sweet. I was born a Smith, so I had absolutely no problem letting that go. 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I, I love that you use like your maiden name in that. That's really sweet. Yeah. Do you have a favorite character? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. I was like, ask me about characters. Yes, I do. Well, first of all, I love them all. I'm probably the closest character that I am to is probably Teague and the dad. Teague, you know, he, and, and it's not that I'm patting myself on the back, but Teague is so unassuming and he's such a sweet young man and he is so smart, brilliant, insightful. He picks up on things a lot quicker than most of the other, you know, magic users do. And yet he feels that he is a doorstop, that he's completely unforgettable or completely forgettable, completely unworthy. And no one notices, you know, I, I'm not even, you know, worth being here. And that's how he looks at himself. And most of the people around him don't feel that way. So I think a lot of times we we feel that, you know, about ourselves. And the dad, again, he's this total badass warrior. And when he comes home, he's the total dad. And, you know, Moran is his little girl. And what I love about this book and giving voice to um, some characters or, you know, people that you don't normally get to hear in books is he's in his early 50s. He's been fighting the wars for forever. And he's thinking, am I past my shelf life? I have been doing this job. You know, I've been fighting in these wars since I was a kid. And it hasn't made any difference. Have I made a difference? Have, you know, we're no closer to peace. What's it all been for? And I think a lot of times when you get to be my age, where you have, you know, more years behind you than ahead, that you kind of take stock of your life that way. And I love how he can be a consummate soldier and yet such a loving father and husband. And I, I love those two different, that dichotomy in his character. So you seem like really passionate about the characters and the plot. Would you say that your books are more plot driven or character arc driven? Character arc driven, definitely, definitely. The plot is easy is answer there for you. Support the characters, yeah, yeah, and it's you know shades of the same thing, really. You know, a plot, of, you know, the story arc and the character arc are almost always you know kind of inextricable from each other, but. It's definitely, I mean, the the story, especially in these three books, and these are unfortunately a closely linked trilogy. They don't stand, they can't, you can pick up book two, but it really helps you if you pick up book one first. Um, is Marana discovering herself and how she is going to meet the world as a uh, fully realized individual? And so it is definitely... Um, you know, how she comes to that and when, you know, how, the decisions that she makes. To a lesser extent, pretty much everyone, and Teague, Teague is, I almost like to think there's two main characters, Marana and Teague and the Dark Trine. I almost like to think those are almost the main characters rather than the other ones being minor characters. But Did you draw any um, inspiration from real life people or... Um... Like no, characters in media that inspired. No, not, not really. Um, the the kernel of the plot hook for Trine Rising and ostensibly the 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 trilogy just popped into my head one day. I was thinking, okay, you know, I want to do this Star Warsy thing that isn't Star Wars. What can we do? And 
I have this very pivotal scene, and I and I can't give it away because there's still enough people who, you know, haven't read the series yet, and it's kind of a plot hook. But it, um, you know, really popped into my head, and I'm like, I really like this. It was kind of based on a minor but pivotal character in my Star Wars fanfic, and this character's backstory was tweaked a little bit. Uh, well, basically, it was just taken out of the Star Wars and science fiction universe and put into my Kandera universe, and that was the very you know incentive, very you know incentive to the story or the very you know kernel of the story. And the characters again is because okay, this is who Marana is, and you know I definitely wanted a character that did not have magic. A, we need that everyman voice to. Show us what this world is like when you don't have magic. And, you know, she always had this this boyfriend and they were so close. They're, you know, they've been, you know, friends and lovers since since childhood. And just I again, you know, a lot of it was taking those archetypes and tropes and spinning them. Um, you know, what it would be like to be a hero, but he doesn't have the magic. And, you know, Marana is physically quite petite, but she has this massive power. And I love taking these changes and, you know, the dark trine. He wants to end the war. He wants peace. He wants, you know, everybody to, to come together, but it's he's kind of this way or the highway. So again, you know, he's not just evil for evil's sake. In fact, He's one of my favorite characters, and and I always like to say he's not wrong. He's just not right. <laughs> That's how I felt about like Thanos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard a lot of people describe it similarly. I like to say if if Shakespeare and uh, Tony Soprano had a baby, it would be um, the Dark Trine. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um, your characters being lovers. How does romance play a role in it? Is it more of like a secondary plot, or is it? Integral to the but it, it is definitely an important one. Um, I don't consider this romantic fantasy at all, but there is romance in it, and any good story should have it. It's how we have fully realized characters. Um, one of my favorite tropes is the separated lovers, and that's what we will have in in this trilogy. Is you know they end up having in there's very endearing ways of how they end up separating. And I also wanted to give them, now that they're becoming adults, and this happens more so in book two and book three, I wanted to give them the ability to make that choice. Do I really love this person? Is this my forever person? Or, you know, this other person that I have feelings for, they're actually better suited. Like, like you know, Teague meets a girl and Marana meets a guy. And I wanted to give the characters the opportunity to really examine their feelings for the other person and make that adult decision. No, this is my person. Or yes, that, you know, that relationship won't work and this one will. Ooh, I love that. Like giving them the choice. That's... Yeah. That's deep. I I love that so much. And you you had said earlier that you're very dialogue driven and so I can I can see how you yeah. use that to yeah. strengthen their relationship as well or destroy yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Like one of my favorite conversations is is actually happens kind of midway or first third halfway in book 3 that Marana teams up with an unlikely 
you know, journey mate, if you will. And he has very different views and things from her. And so, you know, he's he's being honest, but she's like, why are you trying to make me hate you? Yes, these things that you did, I can't stand. They're abominable. I hate them, but I've done things too, you know? And so why are you doing, why, why you know, if you're trying to me hate you, why are we together on this? And I love that conversation. It really gives some incredible answers. Plus it shows how Marana is slowly becoming the le the leader that we need her to be and that she's inspiring people around her to become them be their best selves as she is trying to do for her own self. That's a really strong line too. Like, why are you making me hate you? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. powerful. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm like... That quote alone <laughs> sold me. <laughs> now you get, well, that's okay. I have all three books available for sale in a bookstore or online near you. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I'm really thinking about heading down um, this Saturday. Oh, I hope you do. That, uh, I, I'm thinking it, about it. I'm, I'm like, maybe convince my husband for a little day drive, see what he says. <laughs> Yeah, there's great food down there. And uh, further on the other side of Tucson, there's the most amazing Mexican restaurant called um, uh, El Minuto. And it's a little tiny, you know, it's a pink adobe Quonset hut, little tiny thing with the Christmas lights. The best Mexican food in Arizona as far as I'm concerned. Ooh, yeah, I'll definitely have to look that up. I'm always trying to find some really good Mexican food. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Mexican food supporter. Arizona's the right spot for me because I love Mexican food. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I cook. And so, in fact, we just made some, I uh, made some bean burritos the other night. So, uh, You were talking about cheese sauce earlier when you were saying about like whether you want to like no, sell yeah. your abuela's cheese sauce. And I was like, wait, do you have a recipe? <laughs> no, no. I, I'm a big, pro, you know, big proponent of cheese whiz. <laughs> right. I, I'm like I use you know, yeah yeah it solves many eels. <laughs> like I don't use Velveeta, but I like the jar cheese. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, I I don't think there's a real thing in there, but it's just, it's just salty and cheesy and good. <laughs> Sometimes you know, like look how chemicals here they come. <laughs> um, okay, well, I don't want to take up much more of your time. Uh, do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? I would say um, one of the other taglines that I have for, you know, like I said, the philosophical end of this business is being an unsuccessful quitter. You think about that. You want to quit but, and you maybe you keep quitting, but you never stick with it. So you're unsuccessfully quitting, which actually means you succeed. And, you know, just stick with it and don't be afraid to change. You know, maybe your dream has to adapt. I mean, you know, I'm having a tough time. I'll be honest right now. Um, you know, I, we're we're not where we, we want to be. And, you know, I'm hoping that we will get more fans and followers. So I have somebody to play with during the day. <laughs> if we're a husband who has to work to support this nonsense. Um, so just, just stick with it. And you have a friend in me. I don't, I, maybe I don't know you, but I know we know each other by soul. And, um, you know, I'm here to root you on genuinely. That's so sweet. I love 
authors supporting authors and small business supporting small business. It's my favorite thing ever. Yes. (laughs) And come see us at Stacks in Oro Valley this Saturday, November 11th from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. And then we also have signings coming up in December, December 2nd at Barnes & Noble Dana Park and December 17th at Desert Ridge. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So where can we find you online? Where can we get your books? You can find me everywhere. Um, yeah, no, my books are available through virtually any bookstore, brick or brick and mortar, or online, and of course Amazon. Um, certainly, my my website ckdonnelly.com, and my socials. I am on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. All at CK Donnelly. Yep, yep. There we. My handles are CK Donnelly trying. T-R-I-N-E. Trine is three. It's actually an astrological term. It's a conjunction of three stars or three celestial bodies, but it describes the three powers that Marana has. Seeing, defending, and healing. So, Okay, no, that, that makes so much sense for your title. That's amazing. I love that. The titles are all layered meanings, too. Too bad we don't have more time. Oh, I know. <laughs> like I'll have to get you back on. It's Marana, and it's the Dark Trine, but it's also her ancestor who his life, his story impacts hers. So. Oh, wow. Okay, no, we'll, we'll definitely get you on for a part two interview. Yay! <laughs> I have no and- life. All I do is battle <laughs> with characters that don't exist, saying things in places that aren't real. So... <laughs> I have nothing but time to talk. Perfect. I'll reach back out to you then. That'll be amazing. Great. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, Cindy, so much for hanging out today. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. And I hope uh, we get to see each other for for real soon. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If anything, I definitely want to check out the Festival of Books because I missed it last year. But I really want to go. <laughs> so, All right. Well, this hey, Saturday, thank though. you so much. And you have a wonderful day. I can't thank you enough for inviting me. Oh, thank you for reaching out. I really appreciate it. It was so much fun. All right. Hey, you take care. You too. Bye. <laughs> Bye. That is all the time we have for today. I had so much fun talking to Cindy today. And I hope you guys enjoy listening and you guys got all of her really good hot tips. And we'll see you guys next week right here on Tantropes. Bye.